what some say is the very earliest creed of the church, says this, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Those words are one of the earliest statements in which the church attempted to crystallize the meaning of the life of Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God. Begotten, not made. So we have this ancient doctrine of the Christian church which says the Son is eternally begotten because the Son is eternal. He is God, very God of very God. He has no beginning. He was not created. He, in fact, is the agent of creation through which the Father is the creator of all things. But he came down from heaven. He was incarnate and was made man. We could say very man of very man. So we have this other ancient doctrine of the Christian church, which is this thing 
It has a name. It has a fancy name called the hypostatic union, which means in the person of Jesus, we have two natures. He is very God of very God, and he is 100% human, fully man. Not sort of a man, not God in a man's suit, not pretending to be a man even though he's really God, not some mixture of God and man, but fully God and fully man somehow in one person, the second person of the triune God, the eternal Son, made flesh so that we would say he's actually more fully human than you or I. Well, that's quite a thing to say. How can that be? Well, you and I are born broken. So we're distorted humans. We're not as human as we could be. He's not. He's perfect human. We have an old expression, nobody's perfect. We all know that. In fact, we use it as an excuse. If I do something that's not perfect, I say, well, nobody's perfect, as though that excuses my imperfections. Well, somebody was perfect. One of us was perfect, is perfect. The Lord Jesus Christ is fully man. If we read about the creation of man in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1.26, we hear God saying to God, talking to himself, or perhaps among themselves, for God is an eternal triune one of three persons. We read this, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And if we study those terms, we learn to notice that we are made in fellowship with God in order to exhibit the nature of God in the rest of creation or to each other. And so, like God, we exist in relation, and God eternally exists in relation among the three persons of the triune God, and we are created to be the relational link between the creator of all things and the all things he's created. When we talk of likeness, we talk of life in relation to God as children or sons or daughters of God. And so we're like him, his children. And we speak of image, we talk about the representation of God into creation. 
So we have the this divine mandate from the very beginning. Jesus is, in all of these respects, perfectly human. He is the perfect human being. And we have recently studied the book of John, where we read Jesus describing what it means to be human. Here's how he does it, John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, amen, amen. Here's a, here's a way of translating that. Here's something you can count on. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. When Jesus says those words, he's talking about him in his humanity. He always walks in unmitigated, uninterrupted, unfiltered fellowship with God the Father. And in that, always walks in perfect righteousness in this world and always exhibits the very character of the Father in his life as a man. And that is what men, human beings, are created to be. Jesus acts in creation as the perfect agent of God the Father. He always does only what he sees the Father doing. This is the likeness and image. This is humanity perfected. When the book of Colossians describes the Lord Jesus by saying, he is the image of the invisible God, that is a comment on his humanity because it is humans that are made to be the image of invisible God. And so Jesus is the man all of us are created to be. And when Adam sinned, we broke it. And in Jesus, it is restored. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. We read about that in the book of Colossians. Jesus is the first of the resurrection. Now, somebody should be wondering, what about other people who were raised from the dead? Because Jesus raised someone from the dead before he himself was raised from the dead, right? In fact, on the day when Jesus died, some people were raised from the dead. Scripture says there were, the dead were, came out of the, their graves. They were walking around. 
So how is Jesus the firstborn? Well, the firstborn is a statement of position, not of chronology. It's not about what happened first. It's about who's in first place. And Jesus is the supreme firstborn of the resurrection. And in fact, all those other people that were raised weren't quite as raised as Jesus. Because Jesus is raised for good. Lazarus, Lazarus had a somewhat unusual privilege of dying twice. Jesus was raised and raised, raised, resurrected for eternity and in the glorified body that is no longer killable. Can't die. So he was incarnate in a body that could die. And he is raised in a body that cannot die. Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by all him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That is, have first place. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in Jesus' death and resurrection, the good news arrives. The gospel, the gospel is this, that in Christ, God is reconciling everything. We tend to focus on how he's reconciling us to God. But in fact, he's reconciling all things to God. When Adam sinned and we continued in sin, all things broke. And the work of Christ on the cross restores everything. Restores everything in right relation to God. And so, in right relation to everything else. That was necessary because when Adam broke fellowship with God in his disobedience, all fellowship in creation broke down. Everything now exists. Everything now exists in a state of alienation. It's breaking, it's broken, and it's breaking. 
we separated ourselves from our Creator. So we broke our likeness. It's not absent, but it's not whole. We are the prodigal sons. We marred and obscured the image of God in the world. Our fellowship with each other is broken. Our management of creation, it's a mess. Genesis 3.17, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken you are dust to dust you shall return Jesus is the firstborn from the dead So we're dust, to dust we shall return, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we go on to read in Colossians, we read, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. If you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, Jesus lived, because he walked in perfect fellowship with God, he lived in perfect righteousness, in perfect fellowship with us, with the world, in perfect love toward his fellow humans. Jesus entered into the territory of alienation from God. He died. He died. That might be the most amazing part of this whole story. He died. The eternal Son made flesh in his humanity died. And so has some kind of experience of alienation from the Father. Such to, to a sufficient degree, and we are talking about something we can't actually talk about. But his death is sufficient to satisfy the righteousness of God for our sins. <laughs> Let's just think about this. I don't know. Maybe there's a hundred people here this morning. 
And so up until this point, we've sinned a certain amount of sins, a hundred people's worth of sins. For which the judgment of God is eternal suffering, eternal separation from God. Now, when we imagine separation from God, we don't actually imagine how horrible that really is. It's what we call hell. Not the hell of a hot afternoon, but the actual hell. Well, we have a hundred people's worth of sins among us. And the death of Christ is satisfactory for all of that. For all of that. So that whatever Christ suffered in his death is the judicial equivalent of hell for every last one of us forever. And this is only one kind of small church. So whatever it was that Jesus suffered in his death was the sufficient, judicially sufficient to cover hell for every last person who escapes hell because of his death. I'm trying to imagine the greatness of this suffering. And if you ask me what was it that made Jesus sweat blood the night before he was crucified, it was this, not the death of a cross. Though certainly that was great suffering as well. It was whatever this experience of alienation would be, he entered the land of, that we live in, the land of alienation from God. It's actually theologically impossible to imagine. And yet, declared to be true by the word of God. He entered that territory. He died. And Jesus, the human being, Jesus, the human being, was raised from the dead. And so the book of Hebrews calls him the pioneer of our salvation, the one who goes ahead of us through death to resurrection, so that the book of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He's the firstborn from the dead. If we trust him, we follow him in resurrection. The scripture says in Romans chapter 6 that this is already real. And that text we read in the book of Ephesians says he 
raised us, he made us alive again in Christ, along with Christ. So when Christ was raised, we were raised. Now, we have yet to experience this in its fullness, in its full reality, which we will experience when he comes again. But this is the thing that God has declared true of you if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith it mean, simply means if you say yes to this grace. If you say, I'll have it, he gives it. Jesus said, no one who comes to me, I will not turn away even a single one who comes to me. And I will raise him up at the last day. If we trust him, we follow him in resurrection to walk in newness of life, as Paul says it in Romans 6. We are reconciled, we're restored to right relation to God so that as we've been studying in the book of Hebrews, I can go boldly before the throne of grace. I can go where I should be afraid to go because God is righteous and I am not but I can in the righteousness of Christ stand in the very presence of the living God and receive grace. (laughs) Because the risen one is sitting there to say, he's with me. Like the thief on the cross you remember, he says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And he says, you can come. All you got to do is show up. So our full humanity is realized in resurrection. You know, Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He was talking about how he couldn't make up his mind whether he'd rather live or die because he was under a threat of a death sentence. And so he was like, well, I don't know which one I would prefer. I can't make up my mind whether it's better to to, to live and continue to serve God in this world for the benefit of the body, to express the love of Christ in the preaching of the gospel, or to die and to be with Christ. He calls that gain. To die is gain. Well, the thing is, though, the gain of death is not the end of the story. We often talk about it like it is, like, well, will you go to heaven when you die? Well, and if you're in Christ, the answer to that question is yes, and to die is gain. But that's not the last gain. Because there's another gain after that, which is the resurrection. And your body will be restored to you, and so you will be more whole in the presence of Christ in the end. 
We will embrace one another. We won't be, you know, some kind of mystical, spiritual, ghosty thing. We will be able to wrap our arms around the living body of the Lord Jesus Christ. To see with our eyes the wounds that heal us. The gain of death is not the end of the story. There's a return from death. This mortal, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, must put on immortality. This dying body will become an ever-living body. Not subject to death, can't die. Our full humanity is, is also realized in our walking in the resurrected, created order. You can read about this in Romans chapter 8, where the, all creation is crying out for the resurrection of the people of God. Can't wait to see the glory of God in the resurrected people of God and their full restoration of everything. I had a conversation with somebody one time. They thought maybe mosquitoes were a consequence of the fall. Even mosquitoes will become pleasant. <laughs> I think, well, maybe before the fall, if a mosquito bit you, it felt nice. <laughs> but all creation will be restored to living health and wholeness. And this is part of our own experience of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Even now, we have the opportunity to live in this reality, though not like we will then. There's a great passage of Scripture in the book of 1 John, a verse I quoted a lot, so most of you, it won't be the first time you've heard me talk about it. 1 John chapter 3 Behold, behold. This is a Bible word that means, hey, stop and look at this. We could say it like this in modern English. Hey, get a load of this. What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? I mean, look around. We should be called children of God. We're the people of the one little word, Abba. That's something you should notice. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is it didn't know him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be hasn't yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Now, I believe that we could say this that like this. When he appears, we will be like him, raised from the dead. Okay, because we shall see him as he is. Apparently, when you see Christ face to face, it will move you, and you will not be able to help yourself imitating him. And you'll be like him because you'll see him. Well, there's more. Everyone who has this hope in himself, this hope in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Here's the thing. (laughs) You can see him now and be like him now, not like you will then. But you can pay this forward, this resurrection that is yours in Christ, You can live in it now. The scripture says in Romans 6, we are raised in him to walk in newness of life. That's now. And so we can enjoy the mind-blowing grace of God in Christ because he is risen and he is seated at the right hand interceding for me. So... Even as I fall short, he holds me up. And knowing this, I am changed. Just knowing it. Just realizing that in him, I'm free. (laughs) And I have life eternal. And it cannot be removed from me, and I am safe in him. This allows me to live boldly in the love of Christ. Here's what I know. When I'm not living boldly in the love of Christ, it's a simple thing. I've forgotten how boldly he has loved me. I just need to remember the greatness of his love, which is showered on me. And in the giving of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says it's poured out in my heart. I have a super abundance of love. If I just notice, I will live boldly in it. And that means I will be boldly giving I will be boldly generous. And I'm not talking about my possessions, though that certainly is included. But I'm talking about my time, my love, my passions, my uh, availabilities. I will exhibit his life, which is a life that pays for the benefit of others. And I can pay because I am attached to a bottomless resource in his love. 
So you could take everything I have, and I still have everything. (laughs) You can kill me, and I will be back. I can see him, trust him, live from him. This is the immeasurable wealth of the resurrection. And I can begin even now to realize in my own life the full humanity of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is risen. Father, thank you. It just seems like not enough to say, Lord. Thank you. Lord, I pray that our lives would be those lives that know more and more the power of the resurrection. Not some kind of mystical, magical thing, but the power of knowing the risen one for real. Lord, I pray that our minds would be gripped, that our hearts would be taken over by this most amazing reality. We serve a risen Savior. Amen.